bum bum bottom 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 bum
Yeah, once before work, and then the last one after I came home from work. And and they were not uh, Hallmark cards. You went to the onlines, and you selected some movie-themed cards that you thought that I would appreciate. And they all come from Ghost Girl Greetings. Yeah, Etsy store that hooked me up. So- I... I thought she does really adorable pop culture themed art and and she makes super sweet Valentine's Day cards that I that I thought that you would enjoy. Well, they speak to your heart. That's certainly true. The first one you gave me was a Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park open shirt uh, attire and it says love uh, 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 finds a way. That's right. That's a good one. That's my favorite. Oh, yeah. that That's the one I gave you first, too. Yes, yes. I, I opened pretty hard. And then you gave me the Jason Voorhees Friday the 13th Valentine's Day card, which says you're the to my that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. That's a good one, too. Uh, and then a Ash Williams from Army of Darkness card that says, hey, good looking here to break me out. Or break me in. That's a sexy one. Yeah, that's a sexy card. That's a sexy card. And then finally, a Back to the Future George McFly Crispin Glover card. You're my density. I mean, destiny. Yeah, yeah. The the cards are super sweet. I, I, I think they came to me through a Facebook ad. Facebook has figured me out, which is fine. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great Facebook ad. But if that wasn't enough, besides the four Ghost Girl Greetings cards that you got me, you also got me an actual gift, and I did not get you a gift. You Didn't I really get you a gift, though? Because you were talking about Uh, Batman Black and Whites, (laughs) and I was just like, well, I can get him a Batman Black and White. Yeah. Amazon will give it to me, like, tomorrow, and tomorrow is Valentine's Day. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And I, I do periodically send you a list via... A text. Yeah, well, you got to keep me updated. Right, right. So, yes, you got me a Batman black and white statue, uh, the Jiro Kawada Bat Manga black and white statue. It's yeah, it's rad. pretty sweet. It's, it's pretty really, freaking really sweet. Really cool. So, thank you. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Lisa. Valentine's Day, my love. Yay. All right, but let's get on with it. Bruce Wayne and Selena Kyle. This is our second episode in our February Valentine's series. Do you know do you know Brad who did not have a good Valentine's Day? <laughs> who? James Gordon. N- yeah, yeah, James Gordon not a good Valentine. No. No, no. But let's not spoil things just yet, Lisa. Uh, Batman Year One. This is a major graphic novel. Uh, It has to be one of the most celebrated comics in fandom coming at us from Frank Miller and David Mazzuccelli. Um, Lisa, we talked a little bit on the last episode, uh, but refresh our listeners. How familiar were you with Frank Miller before recording this episode? All I've read of Frank Miller, I haven't read Sin City. I have not read 300. All I've read is some of his Batman stuff. So I've read Batman Year One, obviously, and I had read it previously. And I've read the Dark Knight stuff. The so Dark Knight like Return. his two big ones. Yeah. So um, that being said, I still super respect him as a writer. And digging back into this book, being back inside his voice, there is something about him that is so gritty he tells a cop story just so well 
I've seen some of the movies based on his work. Um, I actually, I have a, a weird, squidgy memory associated with Sin City. <laughs> yeah. Because it's a movie that I saw after I broke up with somebody I was seeing in college because I wanted to date somebody else. Well, I don't like this story. But, but we were still going to be friends, uh. and so we went to go see the Sin City movie, and the Sin City movie was just so weird, and the whole situation was so uncomfortable that I just associate Sin City with that breakup and feeling yucky. I think everything you like about Frank Miller from Batman Year One is taken and hyper-sexualized and hyper-masculinated. Is that a word? No, but no. I like it. <laughs> uh, it's hyper-masculinated into Sin City. It's, it's such an extreme uber noir and as such I like a lot of those stories in particular the first three trade paperbacks through first three arcs um you know uh, the hard goodbye the big fat kill that yellow bastard I love those stories and it kind of loses me as it goes along uh but also I think on repeat watches that film and those comics they don't really speak to where I am as a reader to day in 2019. I just remember the scene of Benicio del Toro where his like throat is slit, but yeah. he's still like alive and his head is like lolling around and it's just so gross. That sequence is directed by Quentin Tarantino. No way. Yeah. I'm totally shocked, she said sarcastically. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you're not like a, a massive fan of Frank Miller, but you do enjoy and still enjoy Batman Year One. Yeah. Okay, well, that's cool. Uh, you know, I think if you're a fan of Batman, at some point in your life, you must read the work of Frank Miller. He's kind of inescapable. As his Bat editor, Dennis O'Neill, says in his introduction to Batman Year One, uh, Miller wrote the alpha and omega of the character. Uh, year One represents the alpha, the beginning of Batman, and The Dark Knight Returns represents the omega, the ending of Batman. That uh, hard-boiled, noir-heavy storytelling that you respond so positively towards, Lisa, is often cited for bringing adult eyes to comic books. In 1986, that's a huge, major, crucial year for the medium itself. In February of that year, DC Comics published the first issue of The Dark Knight Returns, written and illustrated by Miller. It was almost an immediate sensation. This alternate timeline story featured a 55-year-old Bruce Wayne returning to the mantle of Batman to rid the world once and for all of the Joker and Two-Face. And in the process, he inspires and creates this army of acolytes. I mean, that book blew minds. And then later that year, in September, Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons published the first issue of Watchmen. Comics would never be the same again. I sometimes feel like we give too much credit to those two books um, because comics have grown so much since that era. Ten years ago, The Dark Knight Returns may have been the first book I'd hand to a curious Batman fan, but today I'd probably reach for The Long Halloween or The Court of Owls or the series that Tom King is working on right now. There are so many great comics out there, and it's time to celebrate those titles that get, don't get on the New York Times bestseller list. 
but there is no denying the significance of this work. And if you look at these titles, along with Miller's earlier work on Daredevil and Moore's work on the Saga of the Swamp Thing, you know, at the time, comic books were very much seen as kiddie stuff. And now comic books have taken over pop culture. The hip thing now is to swing the other way, lighten up a little. We don't need the grumbly Zack Snyder, Frank Miller take anymore. We want our bright colors again. Huzzah! Huzzah! All that being said, like you, Lisa, I freaking loved revisiting Batman Year One, and I am happy to celebrate this title on this episode. Absolutely. Would I be a comic book fan if every book I read made me feel like Frank Miller, like he grabbed me by the collar of my sweatshirt and it dragged me across the gravel? Like, no. But it's a nice contrast to some of the other stuff that I read. And sometimes you just got to go to a dark place. And Batman is a character that is rife with dark places. But this is not just a comic book podcast, Brad. This is also a relationship podcast. And this is the month we're supposed to be focusing on the relationship between Uh (laughs) Batman and Catwoman, Uh Bruce Wayne and Selina Kyle. Uh, But they don't really run into each other all that much in Batman Rear One. Not a lot of relationshiping happening between these two characters, it turns out. Uh, My memory was a little... (laughs) little hazy when I selected this title. We do see some signs that Catwoman Selina Kyle is into the idea of what Batman is. Oh, I think her origin is tied directly to his actions in this book. And Frank Miller is positing the idea that there would be no Catwoman without Batman. Yeah, that's right. So, so they, that's essential. That's a that, that that's the beginning of a relationship. And she sees this guy on the news that's dressing up like an animal and you know, upsetting the status quo. And so she decides to do the same thing. That's the highest form of flattery. I think that shows that she's pretty into him as an idea. Yeah. Okay. All right. But the relationship we do see splayed out on the pages of this comic book is the relationship between James Gordon and Barbara Gordon, his wife, and how the position he's put in when he's transferred to Gotham City has him starting to display some real not-into-her behaviors that puts their marriage on the rocks. So while I was reading this book, I was going, oh boy, are we going to have an episode here? But you, you, you feel like there's enough to talk about. Positively. So um, this week, with the book He's Just Not That Into You by Greg Barrett and Liz Cicillo, they are our sexperts, our love experts for this particular episode. Um, I want to get more into how the book is structured and how they really drive home this idea of if you are in a relationship where your partner is displaying some behaviors that make you doubt your self-worth, make you wonder, do, do they really value me as a partner? Then odds are that person is not into you or at least not into you enough for you and what you want to get out of your relationship. Uh, now they tell this story, like they give this advice in the context of what, 
how men behave towards women. But these behaviors, these neglectful behaviors are universal for whenever a person is maybe keeping their options open in a relationship or half committing because they want to see what else is out there or maybe they're prioritizing other things in their life that keep them from being a a really good and committed partner. Oh, Gordon is definitely prioritizing something else besides Barbara. If Barbara was to write a letter to Greg Barrett saying, Dear Greg... My husband is wonderful. He's really dedicated to his work. But since we got transferred to Gotham City, he's been too busy to make time for me. And now at the end of the workday, I'm calling his office and he's not there. What would Greg say? He'd say, sweetie, he's just not that into you, Mm -hmm. which is heartbreaking. So I want to get a little bit into how this book is structured because... Um, it's not your standard, just like, here's the headline, here's the chapter, and then just like paragraphs on that chapter. It's told entirely through kind of um, written like an advice column, like Carolyn Hacks or whatever, or, or Dan Savage, where um, there will be a letter from a woman to Greg, and she'll describe her her you know half-hearted relationship from her boyfriend and how he never calls her when he's at work even though he says he will and then Greg will answer in the form of a letter and so it goes there's letters and then there's kind of a chapter summary by Greg and then kind of a woman's perspective from Liz and then at the end of the chapter, you get like a nice little bullet point of here's what you should have learned. And then they do like a little uh, workbook type exercise at the end. Most of which are just like jokes. Like one of them is like, here's a picture of a flag. Now color it in. That's what your boyfriend has just given to you by forgetting to get you a birthday present, like that kind of thing. Or forgetting to give you the Valentine's Day cards like we normally do every year. That's just because you were too distracted doing 7,000 other things that proved that you are very into me. Yeah, I'm super into you. (laughs) There's no reason to be defensive. I feel very secure in your love. Phew. Um, So one of Greg's main sticking points is that there is no man that is too busy in his work to make time for his significant other. And so these are the the points, the what you should have learned in this chapter points from the chapter entitled, he's just not that into you if he's not calling you. But calling can be any, any kind of making time, I think. Um, so here are the points. One, he's not calling you because you are not on his mind. Two, if he creates expectations for you and then doesn't follow through on little things, he will do the same for big things. Be aware of this and realize he's okay with disappointing you. Three, don't be with someone who doesn't do what they say they're going to do. Four, if he's choosing not to make a simple effort that would put you at ease and bring harmony to a recurring fight, then he doesn't respect you. Five, 
Busy is just another word for a-hole. He actually he actually uses the word. But oh, but we're we're a polite podcast. That's right. So I'm just going to put I'm just going to use a word that puts the word in your head. Ooh, yeah, because that, that works. <laughs> Busy is just another word for a hole. A hole is another word for the guy you're dating. And then the last point is you deserve a effing phone call. So I think a lot of these points come up as we start leafing through the pages of this book and really start getting into the wedge Gotham City puts in between Jim and Barbara. Okay. Okay. But before we get into the nitty gritty, we got to talk about what is the nitty gritty, the basic plot of Batman year one. Uh, You know, it's all right there in the title. The book takes place during the first year in which Bruce Wayne decided to don the cape and cowl and prowl the streets of Gotham City as the Dark Knight detective. His story parallels that of Jim Gordon joining the GCPD and discovering its vile corruption and tangling with feelings of despair. Selena Kyle appears in the story briefly as a prostitute who finds her own purpose as she witnesses the rise of the Cape Crusader from afar. Now, here's the thing. At the time of publication in February of 1987, a year after The Dark Knight Returns, DC Comics had just completed their massive continuity cleanup with their Crisis of Infinite Earths event. And after decades of comics, you know, superhero origins and timelines were going and getting a little muddy and demanded a rehaul. This crisis has become commonplace practice since both Marvel and DC Comics were... They, they, they need to wipe out their multiverses every few years now. It's, it's like taking an etch-a-sketch and just shaking it. Yes, yes, yes. So whether it's a Secret Wars or a Rebirth or a New 52, you got to shake that etch-a-sketch. Now, with Batman at the time, DC Editorial didn't necessarily want to revamp his origin, but they did want to explore it with a little more adult depth that Frank Miller grittiness that Lisa loves so much. Uh, so with this uh, Batman, they wanted to bring in their superstar Miller. So they asked him to go back to the very beginning of the character and Miller didn't want to or simply didn't have the time to illustrate Batman year one. So he asked that his daredevil partner, David Mazzuchelli, be brought on board to illustrate and Mazzuchelli's wife, Richmond Lewis, provided the colors. I love husband and wife team. Yeah, we're the best. Yeah. <laughs> Now, of course, Batman first appeared in Detective Comics number 27, published in May of 1939, written by our buddy Bill Finger and illustrated by that cad Bob Kane. However, Bill Finger didn't explain the origin until later that year in November when Detective Comics number 33 hit the newsstands. That Bill Finger penned origin regarding Thomas and Martha Wayne's alleyway killing was just 12 panels in length and did not go into the long gap in time between Kitty Bruce Wayne and 20-something Bruce way donning the bat costume and really beyond the alleyway murderer getting a name joe chill and bruce basing his bat costume on his father's old masquerade costume batman's beginning had never been explored in the comic books before miller and mazzuchelli took on batman year one and now it's been done in like every single movie every single comic well not really the origin of batman has only been explored cinematically in christopher nolan's batman begins and every time 
time they want to reboot the character, they'll do a, uh, you know, a quick recap of Martha and Thomas getting killed in uh, a dream sequence like in Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. But that's really it. And so we just kind of have to extrapolate all of the okay and then he worked out a lot and and bought a lot of stuff and now he's batman yeah so if you want to truly explore what was going on inside the head of bruce wayne at the time you only have two places to look batman year one and christopher nolan's batman begins and that's it Mm -hmm. and i love how today when we think about batman and when and even when you were talking about batman earlier lisa we think of him as this dark brooding character but really before the dark knight returns and Batman Year One, he was mostly associated as this goofy, campy creation, you know, associated with the Adam West 60s cartoon. And I think everything you need to know about Frank Miller can be found in his introduction to the 2017 uh, collected deluxe edition of Batman Year One. Lisa, do you mind if I read you the first two paragraphs of that? Please. So this is Frank Miller talking. If your only memory of Batman is that of Adam West and Burt Ward exchanging camped out quips while clobbering, slumming guest stars Vincent Price and Cesar Romero, I hope this book will come as a surprise. For me, Batman was never funny. I was eight years old when I picked up an 80-page annual from the shelf of a local supermarket. The artwork on one story looked good and scary. Boom. That's Frank Miller. Batman is not silly. Miller saw this as an opportunity to erase the memory of the 60s Adam West series. I think it's hilarious how this intro comes off as a little offensive, but it's absolutely reflective of how I felt about the comics for the first 15 years of my relationship with the medium as well as the character. Batman and comics are not kid stuff. It's just as dramatic and cool as anything you'll find in the work of Herman Melville or James Joyce or whatever. Suck it, English teachers. <laughs> Okay, okay, so maybe I'm the defensive one as well. Uh, but, you know, all right, Batman, Lisa, grim or gritty or smiley and quippy? How do you like him? It's funny because I've been trying to, like, retroactively, like, do some self-reflection and try to figure out exactly what was my chronological introduction to Batman the character. So I I for sure watched the Christopher Nolan Batman movies before ever watching any of the 60s Batman mm-hmm. stuff. Even with my, like, they are, like, even with my love of the monkeys, which I haven't talked about on this podcast, but I am obsessed with the monkeys, the TV show slash fake band. I'm obsessed. Um, so even though it's that same era, for some reason, it just kind of, I just missed it. It mm-hmm. wasn't on Nick at Night, so mm-hmm. I didn't get to watch it. But my first, first introduction to Batman would be the 1992 Batman Returns. Right, yeah, we talked about it a little bit last week. And I feel like that that's a kind of marriage of the two, where Batman is kind of a foil for all of these other kind of crazy characters, but Batman himself is not so batty. Yeah, I think there's a a much longer conversation there to be had about the Tim Burton adaptations in particular. They very much are a marrying of a nostalgia for Adam West and what Frank Miller and DC Comics at the time, at the close of the 80s, was trying to do with, you know, uh, uh, darkening him up up making him a little more mature and adult and badass but when it comes to like my personal taste 
I'm being selfish. I want it all. I want all of those things. And I, and I want them separated. Yeah. And, and like I'm a toddler with a plate. I think it's, I think that's going to be something to talk about next week when we talk about Grant Morrison spoilers for Batman uh, week three for us, but we're going to be going back to Grant Morrison and Grant. What Grant Morrison said was all Batman are valid. Adam West is just as cool as Christian Bale, as Ben Affleck, as, you know, Kevin Conroy. Which is very much as, as a married couple, very much reflects our worldview. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All Batman are valid. We should put that on a T-shirt and start selling them. Ooh, uh, I would buy one. Okay, so let's let's get into the relationship stuff. Let's go take a look at Batman Year One. Let's talk about uh, Commissioner Gordon, Barbara, Detective Essen. But should we talk just a little, since this is the Catwoman and Batman series, should we talk a little bit about what goes on between them in this book first? Okay, sure. Yeah. I want to start all the way at the beginning of the book where we get this contrast of James Gordon arriving on the train while Bruce Wayne is arriving in Gotham on a plane. Yeah, looking down on the city and he's talking to himself and he's saying, you know, from this height, it looks almost beautiful. You but I really belong in the muck. I need to be there with I need to be where the crime is happening. Yeah. And he's been gone from Gotham for 12 years and presumably he's been training and doing all kinds of research. He's so he, absorbing information that he can bring back to Gotham so he can fix the city that killed his parents. Right. He doesn't exactly know how that's going to manifest, but he's preparing to do something huge mm. and he doesn't necessarily want the the media to figure out exactly what he was doing. So he kind of just plays into the paparazzi's presumption that it was a just kind of some kind of love affair rumors of romance yeah, surrounding like, you know uh Gotham City's most eligible handsome bachelor yeah that he he was r- romancing some princess which is total BS. And I, I do like, you know, this idea that Bruce Wayne enjoys or is happy to rely on the cliche of his playboy persona, but he also, it, it, it creates self-loathing. It, it creates self-loathing and it also creates this place where he looks emotionally unavailable. How can he ever enter into a relationship if his persona is, oh, I'm with a different woman every night. I'm only interested in, you know, royalty, that kind of idea. Yeah. So it's it looks like he's like this open person, but in reality, it's another wall between him and a real life, a real fulfilling romantic life. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And, you know, going to the Jim Gordon persona, he's out on the train, he's looking up into the sky. He's in the muck going, this is so gross, I can't believe I'm dragging my wife into this. You know, she's taking a pregnancy test and I'm just hoping that it's negative because I can't imagine bringing anything innocent and clean into this 
scum fest. Yeah, he's basically living the Ethan Hawke life from First Reformed. Oh, yuck. <laughs> Just whiskey and Pepto-Bismol. Glug, 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 glug. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. But but uh, from from Bruce Wayne, he, he arrives back in town. He's a man on a mission. He looks like a fool from the outside. And, you know, Selena Kyle, she's like Jim Gordon. She's also in the muck. She is living in the hellhole that is Gotham City. She's living the life of a prostitute in the East End. And he and her first encounter each other while he's gallivanting as a vigilante. He's taking his first steps. He needs to get to the East End. He needs to breathe in the vile, wretched, putrid fumes of the back alleys of Gotham City before he can, you know, jam his fist into it. And he picks a fight with a pimp and his prostitute. And child prostitute. Child prostitute. And Selena Kyle is observing from her apartment. She's got a John in the bed behind her. We don't see him. And she's looking down at this scene, just another day uh, or just another night in Gotham City. And she's happy to observe this uh, brawl until... Bruce Wayne in the scuffle with the pimp accidentally hits the child prostitute and she leaps out the window to confront this uh, this villain as she sees him. There is something that she says before she jumps out of the window that I think it was really telling. And so she's apparently not just a prostitute, but has some kind of dominatrix thing going on. So she has a guy in the bedroom that she's calling skunk. And is, you know, sexually humiliating for his pleasure. And she says, you know why I hate most men, skunk? Never met one. Yeah. So to me, she does have this kind of romanticized, idealized idea of what a man should be. And so when she sees this guy down, like, on the ground defending Holly... She it gets that idea of, oh, maybe this is a true man. But then as soon as then Holly stabs him in the leg and he fights back and she's like, well, now he's hurt Holly. So now I have to get into fisticuffs. It reinforces the idea that there are no men. Exactly. So she leaps out to take this dude down. And there, you know, the first meeting between Bruce Wayne and Selena Kyle is Bruce Wayne Punching Selena Kyle in the face. Seems pretty standard for a meet cute on the CBCC <laughs> podcast, I think. Well, certainly <laughs> a standard meet cute for Frank Miller. Yeah. <laughs> but I do think that little comment she made about the lack of true men does lead into her fascination with the vigilante Batman. This idea of a man who is willing to do what it takes to make things righteous. Yeah, yeah, and, and um, break the mold of the so-called men she has encountered her entire life and who have uh, taken advantage of her to the point where she has to reverse roles and become the dominant one. Right. Their next encounter happens after Batman has confronted the rich and wealthy of Gotham City. You know, he he storms the mansion where Falcone and all those gangsters are eating pretty. And uh, Batman says, you know, ladies, gentlemen, you have eaten well. You've eaten Gotham's wealth, its spirit. Your feast is nearly over. From this moment on, none of you are safe. And, you know, that's Batman throwing down, saying the villainy of Gotham needs to watch themselves. I'm here now. 
now. Uh, of course, this uh, gained some police attention. The SWAT, the very corrupt SWAT members are sent after Batman. Gordon is with them and they have a shootout in a warehouse. This gains the attention of the news media and Holly sees this on TV and says, Selena, Selena, we got to go watch the Batman take down these cops. Selena's too busy uh, feeding these 15, 20 cats that she has in her apartment. But she agrees with Holly. Yeah, let's go rubberneck this scene. And they go on down to watch the firefight between the SWAT and Batman. Yeah, and it's there that she witnesses the true kindness of Batman in a way that (laughs) speaks to her love language because she sees Batman toss a cat out of the window to save the cat from the fire. And of course the cat goes right to her. And so together the cat and she are witnesses to the, the goodness and the righteousness that Batman really is. I also kind of, really dig her G.I. Jane look uh, in this uh, book. Uh-huh. I, you, you mean like the, the short cropped hair? Yeah, and then she's wearing this like super slouchy trench coat that's like open in the front with like a tank underneath. She looks fine. Well, you're not going to get any argument from me. So the next thing that happens is we get our first bat gadget. He has a some kind of sonic-emitting doodad that attracts bats. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We see it also in Batman Begins. Christopher Nolan uses this device uh, in the in almost the exact same scenario minus Catwoman. Right, and so not only has she seen, has Selina Kyle seen the empathy of, of Batman, but also the power of the Batman, the the um, control he has over a crowd. And also his connection to the animal, the bat itself. That is a kinship. Yeah, she has a kinship with cats. He has a kinship with bats. She gets that. That makes sense to her. Right. Oh, and it clicks. Yeah. Yeah. And from this point forward, we don't have many more encounters between Bruce and Selina in Batman Year One, but this is the moment where she goes, I too can don a costume. I will become the Catwoman right. to Bruce's Batman. And at first, Batman doesn't really notice her. And then a lot of the time, she's just associated, like when she finally um, she infiltrates Roman Roman's mansion herself. And uh, yeah, to steal his goodies, to steal his goodies. She actually ends up kind of being a pest to Batman because he was like, I just spent all of this time bugging this place. And now this cat lady is rolling in and screwing everything up. And her frustration is the fact that the news media attributes her actions against Falcone to the Batman. Right. So now she is his assistant. Yeah. I love that word. Oh, and it, and it, it's perfectly sets up their, you know, love-hate relationship that then Jeff Loeb will pick up in Batman The Long Halloween. Right. Yeah. But that, you know, as far as Bruce and Selina are concerned in Batman Year One, that's pretty much it. Yeah. She's yeah. super into him. 
And he thinks that she is really inconvenient. Yeah. So, you know, he's just not that into you, Selena. Sorry. Sorry, lady. Okay. But the true relationship stuff of Batman Year One, like you were saying, is between Jim Gordon, Detective Essen, and Barbara Gordon. Yeah. And the city of Gotham. And the city of Gotham. (laughs) I hate to be that lady. Like, you know, it's like sex in the city. New York is a character. But, like, really, Gotham as a symbol like, as he's rolling in... Yeah, Frank uh, Miller's leaning hard, mm-hmm. you know, again, going back to that scene, uh, you know, Batman or Bruce Wayne looking at the city from on high, Jim Gordon inside the city looking on up, begging to get out. Mm-hmm. And he feels kind of cursed to be in Gotham because he got transferred there from wherever he was before for outing dirty cops. So as a punishment, he's sent (laughs) to a place that is exclusively (laughs) dirty cops. And he's picked up from the train station by Detective Flass, who is like the lead sleazeball cop in this book. He's the worst of the worst. Mm -hmm. He's Commissioner Loeb's right-hand man. And um, so this entire time, Flass is kind of buttering up Uh, Detective Gordon, and of course, Gordon sees right through it, and he's just trying to, like, grit his teeth and bear it, but he says, like, I keep telling myself it's either this or pumping gas. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's how he spends uh, a few days before Valentine's Day. You're saying at the early, uh, at the beginning of the show how he had a bad Valentine's Day. Because of the structure of this book, Miller, you know, starts it in January, and then we go to February 12th, and we see... You know, how is he spending the days before Valentine's Day? Uh, Ignoring, trying to fend off Detective Flass's corrupt advances. Right. And there are a couple of times where he says, like, I'm doing this for Barbara. Mm -hmm. Like, this is our income. This is my job. Like, I can't go leave this career and start over. Like, I'm a family man now. He blames Barbara a lot in the beginning of this book for being uh, the reason why he's doing what he's doing. You know, not only Barbara, but also the incoming baby. Yeah, that he just needs that steady income. Yeah. But eventually, you know, Flass and Loeb realize they cannot suede Jim over to their side, that he is an uncorruptible person. Right. And so they decide to do uh, an, a persuasion of another kind, the kind that you do with a skull and a baseball bat. Yeah, they beat the living crap out of him. That's right. And so later, like, so after that, he's bruised and bloodied, but not bad enough to go to the hospital. That's a very important point. They mm-hmm. beat him up. They are experts. They beat him up just enough that he doesn't have to go to the hospital. But he goes like, well, I can't let Barbara see me like this. Mm-hmm. Now that he is this target and it's threatening his physical safety and therefore the safety of his family, he doesn't want to destabilize his familial unit by bringing this element of danger, right? So he decides to keep, as best he can, getting beat up a secret. And we know on comic book couples counseling... (laughs) Secrets are not good. The number one way to ruin your relationship is to keep things from the other person. Sure, and that's the very definition of Bruce Wayne's love life. Right, so, like, this is how Gotham is getting to Gordon, by creating this place where he has to keep secrets from his wife, which 
is what makes room for Essen. Yes. Sarah Essen. Yeah, for sure. But before he can uh, get to that storyline, he does have to deliver some serious payback against Flass, uh, beating him up just as much as he received from Flass. Not enough to put him in the hospital, but enough for him to go, you know, look, I'm not I'm not a chump. You can jump me with six guys, but I'm going to get my payback. I'm going to jump you with one dude and you're going to be left naked with, in your own handcuffs and your sidearm rusting in the woods. Yeah, true humiliation. I love it. But he he ends, if you look at the bottom corner after he's been, um, oh, I didn't even notice this before, Flass is wearing his high school letterman jacket yeah. from Gotham High. What? Uh, A gross guy. <laughs> Yuck. Um, but af- after he's driving away from Flass, he says, thanks, Flass. You've shown me you've shown me what it takes to be a cop in Gotham City. It yeah. takes me being a violent brute who keeps secrets from his wife and uh, threatens people with violence. Yeah, but also opens him up to going the only way that these people are going to be dealt with is if a giant vigilante bat joins me in crushing this oppressive police force and, of course, you know, the Jokers and the Riddlers of this world. Batman really is a savior to James Gordon. Oh, yeah. And and not only to him as a cop, but him as a human being and him as a spouse. Well, yeah, yeah, okay, eventually, by the end of year one, but before we can get to his relationship being saved, we got to talk about how it's on the brink because of Detective Essen. That's right. So because he can't bring his work stories and the stress and all of this pressure, he's getting at work home to Barbara. Because of the shame. He has to talk to somebody, so he talks to Detective Essen, and they bond over this curiosity of, who is the Batman? Well, yes, and she is, um, a, you know, a fellow police detective. So there is an entryway of understanding that his wife just does not have as a civilian. That's an excuse that we see in a lot of cop marriage stories, um, but one that I think that Miller uses effectively here. Yeah. So they start staying out late having coffee at the diner. He starts making more time for Essen and less time for Barbara. And he finds himself getting overly familiar. He starts thinking her of her as Sarah. He starts tasting her lipstick on his cigarette after she lights his cigarette. I love that moment. It's such a gross, disgusting male little bit of detail. Um, and and, and it, Miller is just twisting the knife, you know, for, to the reader. You can just see this relationship crumbling. He's going to cheat on his wife. He's going to cheat on his wife. And as a fan of Jim Gordon, you know, you really don't want to see that happen. But it's coming. It's coming. Right. And so eventually, like, we find out that Barbara and James have been arguing at home. And so if we go back to the little bit out of um, he's just not that into you, this idea of, well, if you could say if he could say one sentence that would stop the fighting and he doesn't say it, he's just not that into you. Mm -hmm. And. He's looking for a fight by this point. Yeah, he 
he has all of this angst that I'm sure she senses and wants to get out of him, but he can't give her the satisfaction of saying like, I can't take this job. He, and that is something that he can say to Detective Essen Mm. because she's in the same boat. Mm. So eventually James decides to try and break up with Sarah. He's given her jewelry. They they have an established relationship. And what breaks my heart... And they kiss. And they kiss. Yeah, they had that kiss in the rain. Yeah. But it, what breaks my heart is when he is kind of telling her, like, we can't, we can't do this anymore. I have a wife. I have a child. The thing she says is, if your wife wasn't pregnant... Would things be different? And he never answers that question, but it tells you so much about Sarah as a person. The reader answers that question. Yeah, but like she is emotional, as emotionally invested in this relationship or more emotionally invested in this relationship than Jim Gordon is. And and this idea that she was going like, well, he's not happy with his wife he would be happy with me. And so she had that kind of idea in her mind where maybe he'll eventually leave his wife for me. And all Essen is to Gordon ultimately is an excuse for him to escape the miserable situation he has going on at home. And, you know, his, his job as well. Like he's running, he's running, he's running. That's all Gordon is doing. Mm -hmm. And Barbara senses it. And, and she does, do some recon. She calls his office and asks for him, and he's not there. Right. He is neither at the office nor at home. So what does Loeb have on Gordon? You know, he needs to bring this guy over to his corrupt world. He's going to bend that relationship. He's going to put pressure on the marriage to to bring Gordon under his umbrella. Now, Gordon also knows this, and that ultimately is an excuse for Gordon to fess up. He doesn't fess up until after he introduces Barbara to Bruce Wayne. Early in their relationship, when Detective Essen and Detective Gordon were just professional, not intimate... Essen suggested that maybe Bruce Wayne is the Batman. Right. And Gordon really gloms onto this idea. So he has to meet Bruce Wayne himself. But when he meets Bruce Wayne, he brings Barbara. And Barbara sees this skeevy dude who has some kind of crazy foreign model on the couch with him. And he's drinking champagne in the afternoon. And Barbara is disgusted by him (laughs) naturally but it doesn't dissuade gordon from this theory that this is the batman so he says to barbara like someone who puts on a cape and a mask and goes out to you know ring justice out of the dirty rag that is gotham city he would go to some extreme lengths to keep his secrets Mm -hmm. And then when he says the word secrets, it triggers this guilt in him. And that's what makes him confess to Barbara. Him thinking, well, 
I clearly am not the kind of man who is any good at keeping secrets because Commissioner Loeb is on to me. Mm. My own wife is on to me. So I might as well just come out with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. Yeah. No. Okay, Jim, you suck. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, let's get to the end of the book here. Uh, You know, Carmine Falcone, he's been attacked by Catwoman. Uh, You know, Batman's on his trail. Gordon's on his trail. He needs to strike out. He needs to end this once and for all. And what what does he do? He hires his hitman buddy to go take care of Gordon. And how is he going to do that? By kidnapping Gordon's newborn baby. And wife. And wife. And wife. And, you know, Gordon gets word of this. And it's a high-speed pursuit to save mother and child. Right. And also in hot pursuit somehow is Bruce Wayne not... All dolled up. I don't know why. Action figured up, I guess, in his cowl, but just as a man. On a motorcycle. On a motorcycle. Yeah, in broad daylight. So dreamy. And is it broad daylight? It's kind of rainy. This this is the kind of crime that happens well, in the it's, rain. It's, oh, I just I just imagined the rain it's into this. It's not story. rainy. It's, I believe it is broad daylight, but it's a Gotham daylight, which is can't be that sunny. It's moist. Yeah, so there's a final confrontation. Uh, the baby is thrown off of the bridge after the car is rammed off of the road. Uh, Gordon is unable to catch the baby, but there goes Bruce Bruce Wayne does a high dive off of the bridge, captures the baby in mid-flight, rescues the kid. They take out Johnny the Hitman, and uh, Gordon's glasses have been knocked off his face. And so he is feet from Bruce Wayne. Now, he has vision like I do, where he can't see beyond uh, a foot in front of his face, or at least he claims and says that uh, he can't recognize who this figure is, but thank you. And he says, Siren's coming. You'd better go. Yeah. And so now Jim Gordon is fully on Team Batman. And Lisa, I have- Well, not Team Batman. He has no idea that this is Batman. It's just a guy in a a motorcycle jacket. Mm -hmm. I think that he is placating. Uh, Not placating. He's lying. I think that he sees that it's Bruce Wayne. Because even with- with glasses off. Yeah. I, I think he knows that it's Bruce uh, Wayne. I 100% agree. I think he sees that it's Bruce Wayne. But he knows he, that his anonymity is really important to him. That's why he does the whole bat suit thing. Right. And when he sees Bruce Wayne, he knows it's Batman. Right. He puts all the pieces together. Now, this has been the debate of fanboys for decades, uh, how much Gordon knows. But I'm, I'm of the opinion that Gordon knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman and has known since this moment. And that he recognizes that his anonymity is something that is sacred. And even if he knows the truth, it's really important to maintain. Well, more importantly, he recognizes that Gotham City needs Batman, that Jim Gordon is not going to be able to fight the evils of this city legally. He needs a guy in a bat suit to take out the enemies of the people. Yeah. So the final panel of this comic is does not have Batman in it. It is a picture of Detective Gordon looking super satisfied, Content. smoking a pipe. And we find out that um, Barbara's moved out of Gotham City. She's moved to New York, staying with her mother. But they're going to marriage counseling. And even though Barbara is kind of anxious about it, Gordon is super committed to it. Um, And now 
all of those other dirty cops are kind of doing this kind of infighting that kind of opens up this path for Gordon to go straight to captain. Yeah. And so career-wise, things are looking a little, looking better for him. He is dedicated to putting his marriage back on the rails. And now that he has this kinship, this ally relationship with Batman, he has hope for justice in Gotham City. I wish I could reach into this comic book in this panel and hand this content Jim Gordon a copy of Scott Snyder's Batman the Black Mirror when we learn exactly what goes down with baby Jim Gordon. No. Child, the <laughs> child of Commissioner Gordon, Lieutenant Gordon. Uh, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't go well. Jim should have given up the job, fled Gotham, gone to New York with his wife, and just concentrated on the family. But this satisfaction that he's feeling with giving up Essen and joining the Batman in his crusade, it's going to ruin his family. Yeah, but <laughs> but look how happy he looks with his pipe. Yeah, okay. That about does it for Batman year one. Lisa, how, how, how do we reconcile all this with he's just not that into you? To me, I'm kind of torn of... Which character do I want to give the he's just not that into you advice? Like part of me is like, Barbara, your husband is neglecting you at your time of extreme need. Your family is in flux. He has dragged you to this terrible place. And he's clearly making time with another woman. Your husband is not that into you. Take your baby Go to New York, live with your mom, and if Jim Gordon is really dedicated to being a husband and a father, he'll leave Gotham. Yeah, I, I want to say, hey, Jim Gordon, Batman, he's just not that into you. <laughs> <laughs> you need to leave Gotham and head up to New York with your wife. <laughs> That's right. If I was like, if I was to give. Gordon advice, I would say, look at your behavior through Barbara's eyes. You say that you are maintaining this career for her, but then you are keeping secrets from her that are creating an emotional distance that is toxic in a marriage. So are you really doing this for Barbara or are you doing this for yourself and for this sense of justice? Mm. If I was giving Sarah Essen some advice, I'd say, lady, he is in way too deep with Barbara and her son. He's he's not willing to ruin his marriage to have a real solid relationship with you. I think she knows that by the end of Batman Year One, even though Essen never gets her moment. What I think is super a bummer is that she's the one who has to transfer. Right. Because her passion was also the Batman, and she got her satisfaction out of trying to figure out who Batman was, and now she's sent to another city, and she's off the case. Like, how come the capable single woman who has no familial ties, how come she's the one who has to go to a different city where it really would benefit the Gordons a lot more to find a different 
job. I agree with that. I agree with that. I think by the end of Batman year one, the only couple that's into each other, even if it is a little bit of an antagonistic relationship, is Batman and Catwoman, Bruce yeah. and Selina. And that's and, only going to heat up uh, further on down the line. And Batman and Detective Gordon. Uh, I would say Gordon's really into Batman. Well, I know. Bat- Batman Bat- is not into Catwoman. This is a love triangle in which Batman loves nobody because Gordon loves Batman. I guess Batman Selena is Kyle into Gordon ba- in yeah. the sense that Gordon represents, you know, the the only flicker of hope. Although we haven't even talked about Harvey Dent. Yeah, in Harvey this story. Dent also he also has established a relationship yeah, with so Harvey Dent. There's there's a little trilogy of uh, of comrades, all dudes, uh, looking to rid Gotham of crime. They're all pretty into each other. Yeah, yeah, and that's okay. sweet. I think in terms of our relationship, it just goes to it if Examine your behavior. If you're doing a behavior that makes you feel guilty in your relationship or where you're finding excuses to keep secrets from the other person, you should probably just come clean. I don't know what that would be in our our relationship. I don't know. I came clean about the chocolate several episodes ago. so And now he just openly has a hidden box of Samoas. <laughs> well, you bought those Samoas. I did because one of my clients has a daughter that is a Girl Scout. It just seemed like good business sense. Do you want me to throw those cookies away? No, I want to eat some. Yeah, I want to eat some right after we finish recording. <laughs> Sounds good. Dunk them in some milk. Ew. Uh, that's how Catwoman would like it. What? Yeah, because, uh, you know, cats and milk, saucers and such. There is too many layers to this entendre for me to get anyway. (laughs) All right, if you say so. Let's move on. Let's just tell these people what our next Batman Catwoman book's going to be. Okay, so I spoiled it earlier. Uh, Grant Morrison, we're going to his epic Batman run, and we're going to go towards the end of his series of books, Batman Incorporated, and we're going to pick issues one and two of volume one of Batman Incorporated. Does that make sense? Makes sense to me. So if you have, if you want to go on eBay and get the floppies, you could do that, or you can buy volume one of Batman Incorporated and read the first two issues, and then you can continue to read for bonus, bonus credit. Yeah, I promise you there's much more Batman Catwoman action happening in these two issues. Sexy! And, you know, to that point of, you know, all Batman being valid, this is about Batman incorporating the Bat-manga version of himself into the continuity. We're going to get nuts. Fun, and and maybe we'll see some of that milk saucer sexy no, time you were no, talking stop about making fun of me <laughs> and my milk dunking Catwoman metaphor don't worry i'm not shaming you about your <laughs> Catwoman milk kink let's just move on i think that's for the best brad where can our yes. listeners send their words of affirmation to you oh well you can find me every day at mouth dork on all social medias i've got some real great tweets coming your way that's a promise Ooh, great tweets yeah cool tweets lisa do you have any cool tweets and if so where can we find them and how can we send our words of affirmation to you i am always accepting words of affirmation at sidewalk siren on instagram and twitter 
And you can commit to this podcast by following us on Instagram and Twitter at CBCC Podcast, subscribing to us on iTunes and on Spotify and on Podbean, and leaving us an iTunes review with five stars. And I want to hear your opinions on Frank Miller, Batman Year One, The Dark Knight Returns. Do you want Adam West Batman? Do you want... Christian Bale Batman, do you want Frank Miller Batman? And you can reach out to me and tell me about your awkward relationship stuff, and I can be your Greg Barrett, and I can tell you why your your awkward person of choice is not that into you. Oh, that's, that's kind. Yeah, I know. All right, folks. Uh, until next time, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. Doopy doopy.